Welcome to episode 50 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Hadamio. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary. You know, so literally just seconds ago, we press record, but we had been talking, talking, talking. It's yes. when you come to my house, we're going to start recording at nine. It's now nine twenty-nine <laughs> because of the circus that's in my house of like scattering my kids. My husband's like, well, I guess I'm leaving. Like he walks out the door and then we start talking. Yeah, we just start like, talking. It never, I know. <laughs> like we never really start. I'm like, oh, nine's good. Yes. No, we just never. No, really- that's why it needs to be early because yeah. we, Yeah. It just never gets started. <laughs> it takes too long. I know. That's okay. So how how is everything going? Everything is going pretty well. Good. Good. Yeah. This is no. a good, I, uh, I feel like the most like myself. Oh. I feel very good. Amazing. Yeah. And did a lot of holiday decorating. Oh, that always helps. For yeah. Sure. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, so... I gonna say oh so I was talking to my sister-in-law yesterday and she was saying to me that she, that uh, her sister so she, she's my sister-in-law like not my husband's sister but married her bro- his brother does that make sense yes. yeah okay so her sister okay. <laughs> told her that they told their kids the um for Christmas they can p- make a list of what they want for Christmas but it has to be from local shops oh i like that and i thought that's amazing not local target like local shops to helping you know small businesses now that are thriving trying to stay uh you know open and i think i might do that with my kids today i think i might drive around uh fort lauderdale or pompano you know whatever and and look for stores that we can go into yes that might have things on their list because my son's list is outrageous. It's a, probably three or four pages long. Oh my god! And because he goes through the catalogs, right? Oh. And he writes down the prices next to the things, and I'm like, this isn't cool. Like this is not. Yeah. And, and I was telling you that last night he brought it to me, and he was like, "Can you put a check mark next to what I actually could get as a possibility, so I, I'm aware of like what I'm not good?" And I'm like, "Get, oh, it's ten it's- o'clock." I'm like, "Get away from me. <laughs> Go to bed." My kids did their list. My younger son had like three things on his list. And oh. it was like, um, in a, a, Among Us, he's like oh into my, Among Us. Yes. He wants like an Among Us, like t-shirt or backpack or, mm. or pillow, you mm-hmm, know, something mm-hmm. Among Us. And then he tried to put a tablet on there. <laughs> and we were like, no, you don't need an electronic. Yeah. And I think he just wanted like a... A plants versus zombies like another comic book mm-hmm. thing and then my older son wanted like one the new fifa 21 because oh, he like the soccer game it's got um i think well beckham and i don't know you know it's got people on there that he wants mm-hmm. and i think that was like his big ticket item was just a fifa game and then mm. some like drawing supplies that's what my daughter, she, I, yeah. I just asked her for the list. You saw her. She brought yeah. it up here. It had all these things <laughs> like a pillow, it's uh, cute. Uh, markers, crayons, stuff like this. And then it said friends. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this poor girl needs to go to school so I badly. Know. It's so fucked up. It's so sad. It's sad. I know. I know. It really is. It's difficult. I know. And, 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 and they're all do. going through it. I mean, you know. They are. My youngest is definitely feeling like. I, I think my oldest too. I mean, the the only good thing is they'll play online with kids, but it's yeah. not the same. No, at all, it's not. So, Girl, all right, let's do it. Are you ready? Ooh, fifty. Fifty. I feel old. I know we've done fifty. <laughs> it's amazing episodes. I mean, I feel like fifty-two is the year we do yes. one a week. So, yeah. right, that's it. Fifty-two. We're heading yeah. up to a year of podcast episodes which is unbelievable it's exciting because we haven't aged a day since not we started. one day <laughs> not one well you are first this week let's do yes. it yes okay so today i'm gonna tell you the story of the Thibodeau massacre so in 1887 roughly 10,000 workers went on strike against sugarcane plantations but when tensions mount then-Governor Samuel Douglas McEnry sends in paramilitary groups to attack the workers and their families, resulting in one of the most dangerous labor strikes in American oh history. Oh, my gosh. And I have to say, Kate, our friend Kate, mm-hmm. was like, hey, I saw this thing and sent me uh, like something from Twitter. And I read it and I was like, I think I'm going to do this for the podcast. Dang. It was, I had never heard of it. This is awful. It's terrible. 
So our story takes place in Louisiana. Oh, go ahead. Just like, so when people ask you, like, why do we need unions? Like, this, this is the this thing. Is <laughs> this is it. These are the reasons why. This is when, why. When, you know, hundreds of girls and women die in a fire and yes. a shirt factor factory yes. and this, you know, like, this is the reason why we have unions because yes. to avoid this kind of bullshit. Oh my God. It's, it's terrible. And murder, basically. It's murder. Oh, Jesus. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a terrible, terrible story from history. Yeah. So our story takes place in Louisiana, specifically in uh, Thibodeau. And today, Thibodeau has about 14,000 folks living there. So mm. it's still it's tiny. Yeah. Like, to me, that's small. And it's in the Lafouche Parish. Mm. And so since I'm in Florida, or we're in Florida, we, like almost every other state, have counties. And I'm yeah. like, why does Louisiana have parishes? Like, I was born in Jefferson Parish, oh. Louisiana. Yes, Metairie, just outside uh, New Orleans. NOLA. <laughs> so right. wait, so uh, it's New Orleans, not New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans. Yes. Is that how it goes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans. Yeah. NOLA. So um, I was like, why the heck do they have parishes? Like, I yeah. didn't understand, like, why don't they just call them counties? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, let me look it up. And um, basically, back in the day, the Roman Catholic Church uh, mm. ruled when France and Spain, um, both when they uh, controlled Louisiana, and it was divided up and named after the different church parishes, and mm. they just kept it that way. Yeah. Isn't that it's crazy? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of like it. So yeah. I don't know. It's different. So before I get into the horrific event, I want to just give you a little bit of background about the time and what was happening mm-hmm. um, with the plantations um, in Louisiana. So this is taking place during Reconstruction. mm Right. And slavery has ended. But we know that things didn't heal and that blacks were subjugated uh, to further ill treatment and inequality. And the labor industry becomes another form of control and almost like another form of slavery in a way because they are, you know, uh, being hired. Right. And they live on like the the houses on the the sharecroppers land and things Mm -hmm. like that. But um they're still subjugated because whites still had access to education. They still had access to money. They still had access to land. So the same plantations that the former slaves were working on, right, is the land that's still owned by these same white people. And now they're oh, like, oh, God. we'll hire you oh. to come work, right, and be a farmhand. <sighs> but they exploit the newly freed blacks and hire them but they're giving them like jack shit in terms of payment right and like you're saying there's no uh labor union right so there's no 40 hour work week and like a set pay and blah 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 so you know they're being worked hours and hours and hours a day and the power structure from the slavery days still exists you still have the same person who who is in charge yeah and you still have that power over the person who's working it's not like you've got a new boss and the terms have been set up. It's like, no, this is the same yeah. guy who used to whip me whenever he felt yeah. like it. You know, yeah. it's like I there's mean, still this awful, awful psychological and Oh, it's yeah, terrible. And, 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 and the racism is oh, rampant. I mean, it's, it. it's horrible. So, you know, why, why do we have unions, right? We know that we need unions because corporations and industry would continue to exploit people right. if we didn't have it. We've talked about this before. Why do we have a 40-hour work week? Why do we have an eight-hour day? Why do we have a mandatory lunch, a mandatory 15-minute breaks after a certain amount of time? It's because people who unionized fought for those things. Right. And my husband and I were talking about how, like in Florida, like 20 years ago, you know, when I was um, single and like, you know, I could, in college, I had, I could live on my own, you know, and have, a, I mean, I had a, an apartment by myself at one time and I had, you know, several different roommates over the years and I could afford the rent. I could afford a car right. payment. I could afford my insurance making minimum wage. I wasn't, you right. know, I worked as like a tutor, an English tutor. Not anymore. And here. I had like a couple jobs. You can't do it. No. Cause the minimum wage hasn't really gone up much from when. I was in college and right. that's crazy. Well, and also to be honest, there's still things that have to change in Florida and other states, but I know right. for Florida, if you're a, 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 in the LGBT community, uh you can still be fired in yeah. the state of Florida yeah. if your boss doesn't like that. Yeah. Like that's still well, a thing we're, that and, has not and, changed and here. Florida is a right to work state. So mm-hmm. like you can be fired yeah. for any re- like it's they crazy. don't even have to give you a reason. Yeah. And, and that's that these <laughs> and need that's to change. Scary. Yeah. That's scary. Oh, girl. So, 
Back to the situation. Yes, The please. sugar plantations involved were in three parishes. The uh, Lafouche Parish, uh, where the city of um, Thibodeau sits, mm-hmm. St. Mary, and um, Terrebonne. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. No, that sounds right. Okay. So collectively, this was known as the Sugar Bowl. Okay. Because it's all these sugar yeah, plantations. Yeah. So um, the workers are exploited, and it's basically, you know, at worst, I feel like it's another form of slavery. And Stephen Kleiber explains in an essay that the folks working in the fields didn't ca- get paid much at all. They were getting about $13 for the month. Jesus. And he also notes that they were paid in script. And so what that means is that workers got sort of, in addition to this meager pay, they got coupons that could only be redeemed at a store owned by the planter. What the fuck? Okay. Now, guess what? The planter jacks up the price 100% of (gasps) everything that's in that store. So they end up being indebted to the planter because they can't even afford basic things. This is it's insane. Insane. You basically can see how it's extortion. Like they're being extorted yeah. and exploited. P.S. It, it's it's I, terrible. Side note, and this is a can way like off the page side yes. note. This is what happens in the record industry. This oh, is what happens yes, to yes, bands who yes. sign record contracts. Oh, they got nothing. They get and nothing. They send, They sell hundreds of millions of albums and have no fucking money. And they're all the talent. They do all yes, the work. And yes. these white executives yeah. like the, the companies all the money. Pay, and they're on. They get the the because they had themselves as even writers. Yes, but they have um, they have to pay for the uh, the studio time that comes out of their contract. Then they pay for. All of the, um, this is the record company. Then they pay for all of the touring that comes out of the contract. The, the, to press the album comes out of the contract. Yeah, it's such so crap. by the time they're done with a tour, like that's where they can kind of make the money back is merch. But by the time they're done, they owe money to the record company yeah. after a, like a, a gold selling album or whatever. Like this is the same thing. It's, 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 it's in de- Look at Prince. Remember Prince would no longer yeah. go by the name, the formerly artist, yes. formerly known as Prince. Cause he was, he said he was an indentured slave to. Yes. <laughs> Again, record company. It's t- it's terrible. Yeah. Well, and then even recently, what happened to Taylor Swift? Yes. Ooh, this is crazy. Like, you listen, know? I don't give a fuck about Taylor Swift or like her music. I don't care. But, but that's fucked up. What it's the fuck it's they messed did. up. And she's re-recording all of these original yes, albums it's so like that she can have work, them, so she can have her work. I don't like this. No, no, no it's no, no, garbage. No. And that's why it's when garbage. they when Prince passed away, you know, she rest was in young. Peace. Her family yes. probably didn't know. You know what right. I mean? Like, if you're not. You don't know what's going on. Sharks. You sign it. These yeah. guys don't give a fuck. No. But that's when they opened up Prince's uh, vault and he had like hundreds and hundreds of songs that no one's ever heard oh before because he was basically hiding that shit from record oh companies. And who can blame him? But still, like, that's this is the same thing. They keep you in that loop of like, you're never getting yeah. out of this debt that you're owed. It's the same thing. Yeah. And then, you get, and then you're on, on tour forever and like, yes. you know, ugh. All right, well, back to... Sorry. No, no, yeah, no, but awful. it's the same thing. Yeah, this is awful. So the other issue at play here that we know is at the time, the farmhands, they didn't have much leverage to fight back. Like, what are they going right, to do? Right, right. So, and collective-type bargaining, like, unions are... This is just kind of starting. And it was discouraged, you know, because it was seen as a threat by, like, planters, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, there was, you know... Um, they're also living on the land. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's... Their, their homes like it's so it's this very yeah you know I could lose everything I, I could, could lose where lose I live everything. I'll be yeah. yeah yeah so there was a group called the Knights of Labor and a little side note the uh Clyde said that this was one of the few union labors that allowed blacks and whites it was one of mm-hmm. the first I think it was one of the first times perhaps that blacks were allowed to be like part of a union which mm-hmm. is uh interesting so the Knights of Labor get involved and they see that the workers have a good cause for unionizing and fighting. And according to the podcast Labor History in Two Minutes, the union offered the plantation owners a list of demands. And they're not like major yeah. demands. It's let's end these script payments. Ugh. Let's increase our wages. And it was a small increase. It was like nothing wild. I think they wanted a dollar twenty-five an hour or something Jesus. like that. And they wanted better treatment of workers. Like that was it. Planter's response, hell no, yeah, we're not doing it. So well, you got to remember what, how are they viewing the people who are working oh, for yeah, them? They, These are they, people yeah. I used to, I have to pay them more. I used to yeah. get this for nothing. Right. They're like, I hell mean, no. Yeah. Why do they deserve anything? Right. So a strike is called on November 1st. And now this ends up being a crucial day because with harvesting sugar, there's like a window of time 
that it can be harvested um, for the crops to still be good. And so that's the time that they mm. decide, guess what? We're not going to. Damn. Yeah. So like it's all very planned very well. You know, like they know like the strike goes on for three weeks. Mm. So the major incident, like what leads to the massacre. So the planters are refusing to yield to any of the demands uh, and they basically flip out when the strike is called. Right. And according to Casey Washington of Black Past, during the strike, about 10,000 workers stopped working. And this isn't just in um, Thibodeau. This is like all the parishes. The like Sugar Bowl area. Yes, yeah, they yeah. all got together. It's 10,000 people. That's a lot of people to go. We're yeah. not doing, we're not going to And a harvest. lot of money they're about to lose on this. On yes. This oh, dang. So um, this is costing those planters money. Yeah. So on the day of the massacre, white planters and others, and I just like to say white terrorists, yeah. they focus on the town of Thibodeau. And Washington also explains that what happens is this is going on for three weeks, and on November 23rd, two guards, two white guards were killed. Like, shots happen. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of details on, like, what caused right. the shooting. Like, they just know, like, two white guards are killed. And that's when the slaughter sort of begins from there. And Washington notes that then-Governor uh, McEnery, um, on request of the planters, sends in those white paramilitary troops who, along with other whites, start going from one house to the next to identify black strikers, and they shoot them on <gasps> site. And they even, like, shoot, like, family members, no! children. Yeah. No! Yes. They just Tina. start killing people. It is, like... And it's like, I get it. Okay, two people were shot. Find out what happened. Like, you don't just go door to door. Well, you got to. It, 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 it yes, is. It's the, but it was heightened by that loss oh my of God. like the mo- tons it's, it's, of money and the the uh, the audacity of these of these folks to actually say no, you're going to pay me more. Like all oh, of that, it's like so, the anger in that white toxic masculinity so, that exists, it's so horrible. That all was going on there. Like, how dare they? I have yeah. to. I got to sit down and, and negotiate. No, like this unarmed is crazy. people and their families mm-hmm. getting gunned down by a militia sent in yeah. by the state. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, this is just, you know, um, you know, kind of like what happened in Wilmington. where like, we're going to take over. Right. This is, you know, the the state, the government got involved and sent people in and killed people. Jesus. Like the, it's it's insane. And I'm like, why? Why haven't I heard of this? Like, why isn't this? something that we have learned about or studied or anything. And it's like, for what? Because someone wanted a fair living wage? Yeah. You yes, know? Like, that's right. Oh, my God. Oh my God. It's, it's, People are fucked. It's so, it's so messed up. So in the end, a lot of the reports I said about 30 to 60 people were killed. Mm. Um, others were fired from their job and they were run out of their homes. So, you know, it's like this big mess. But listen, I would rather just fire me and run me out of my home then shoot me and the people in my yeah. house like that. I mean, I but, mean, but imagine like they didn't know what was happening right. or that that was going to happen that day Holy or shit. So the charges, none, none. Yep. <laughs> no killers brought to justice, uh, nothing. Um, so in the aftermath, one of things that I thought was like so terrible because it's, remember I said the Knights of Labor, they allow, uh, they, 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 they help fight for the rights of these black workers and these farmhands and Calvin uh, Shermerhorn of the Smithsonian highlights that after the massacre, blacks didn't get the chance to unionize for decades. Uh, yeah. For decades it, and decades. All of that it, it's is just, it's like, that's what, and you, you know, the message went such to them. garbage. Like if you ever involve blacks in union laboring again, we will come after you. We yeah, will come after your families. Like, you know that these threats were it's, happening. It's, a, it's, it's, it's just such trash. And like, I feel like the more we learn about our history, like th- on this show, mm. I feel like, you know, cause we dig in and we start learning so much, the more terrible it reveals itself. Listen to me. To be. But I, you, you know, know my we brother, have so much work to do. I, I was at my brother's house for Thanksgiving and the Washington football team was playing. Oh, and I was confused named? on who that was, and oh. I, and I go, oh, it was the it's this is the Redskins. They're no longer the Redskins. No. I did not know that. Oh that yeah, changed. that happened. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. last year. And there was a guy or earlier this year or something. A friend of my brother's family was there, an older guy, you know, and he was like, I don't understand. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's derogatory. Redskins is yeah. yeah, it's a it's like saying the N word. Yeah, like we are now in 2020. Are we really still talking about this? Yeah. But 
of I think that you and I were aware of a, a lot of what our history was. Yeah. These are particular cases like that we didn't know. Yes. But there are people who don't know any of it and really would rather not they don't care. They don't care to learn it. No. They're questioning about redskins. We got yeah. that's a that's an issue. Yeah. That's an issue. Yeah. No, we have a lot of work to do. And I always forget that like, you know, America, we're not old as a country. That's like, true. When you think of like Europe. Yeah. Like, we are not old. And um so it's not really far removed from our past. Do you know what I mean? And we haven't had And we're still dealing with the ramifications of everything. Mm-hmm. And we need I, I I feel like this is the history that we need to learn so that we can understand like why yeah. things are the way they are today. Yeah. You're right. I don't know. So in 2017, they held a mass for the victims of this massacre. So 130 years later, they did um, this thing, this, this mass for the victims. So some points of interest. So there are no total numbers. So like I said, t- typically I saw 30 to 60, but I also saw up to 300 because there was no written account um, of what... Of, of it and i wonder even if these those folks were included in a census yeah you know I what i mean know. like were they even people who are acknowledged as citizens right. as residents or citizens because they were former slaves like was that ever even were they would they write down slave next to their name or i don't or, know okay i don't know either. yeah i don't know that's terrible sorry so no one knows where they buried mm. the victims but according to dan cop's daily comment article they believe the bodies were buried in a mass ga- a grave, which is now by an American Legion post. And Cop's article also noted that much of the history was passed down orally, person to person, and not documented in writing. Mm. And so they're trying to find out, like, where this is so that they can, like, acknowledge, like, this is where this is and, and sort of, you know, find it out. And they're doing all of, I mean, they're bringing in, like, forensic folks. Like, it's like, um, and it's... um you know, uh, relatives, you know, wow. of, of some of the potential victims and that are involved in like trying to figure this out. So I thought that was really interesting. And another thing I found interesting is I found an article a couple days, written a couple days after oh my gosh. this massacre in 1887. And um, it was about the k- killing and it was such a horrible article because really the use of adjectives in it and, and the language used to describe the, the murder victims oh, were, of course, not that they, it was all about how, how, how the blacks were inciting violence and all of this, which um, from other historical accounts, it was not true. And um, the language used to talk about the white folks involved. Oh, it Innocent was um, they're defending upstanding. themselves. That was yes. the one that was used a lot. The upstanding young men, you know, throughout. And I was like, oh my god, we have like this depiction of violent rebels who want to disrupt the the social order and peace, and then the upstanding, you know, uh, citizens of the town fighting back. It was just so gross. And it's like they're 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 trying to justify actions that aren't justifiable, right? And Amy, and it was, but that reminds me of your Wilmington story. Also the massacre in Wilmington were the same thing where they had a, the first, one of the first black newspapers there and they were writing stories, excuse me. And it didn't sound anything like what it did after when they were defending this fucking coup and takeover. It's uh, it's insane. Yeah. So it reminded me of that too. That was, we did in episode 26. mm -hmm. And the thing that was interesting there was, you know, just like in Wilmington, the descendants of the folks in power still hold power. Holy shit. You know, there was no fallout. Like, and I don't mean just like political power, but like financially, you know what I mean? And this is what we talk about, how how blacks are 400 years behind white people. This is the same fucking shit. It's the same thing. And Casey Washington in that Black Past uh, article that he wrote um, said that one of the planters, Andrew Price, wins a congressional seat in 1888 despite being involved in the killings. Holy cow. And he also reveals that statues were erected celebrating oh. the people involved. So I couldn't see or find out if those statues were still erected in the town. And if so, it's like, you got to take that shit down I, if they're there. I mean, well, I, let's I, take I a road trip find, yeah. on our way to New Orleans to have some um, yes, hurricanes. Beignet and yeah. Beignets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll check it out and see if they're still there. Oh, my God. So there was another historical document that I found from a white person who was outraged 
mm. as to what happened. And it does, it's, it's, it's listed as anonymous. Um, so I don't know who wrote it and I have it in our notes. Um, but the title of like his first line in it, um, cause he talks about not only like the workers, but the innocent family members that are killed. And he says, uh, murder, foul murder has been committed and the victims were inoffensive and law abiding. Mm. And it's like a whole article about like how terrible these people were treated and that they were killed. So I, I mean, that was the only thing where I was like, oh my God, there, it, there was someone, there was someone saying this not enough, was though, not right? right. I know, yeah. but like, it's still, I was like, at least there's a record, you know, like yes. there was something written yes. to say, yes. no, like this isn't what happened. Right. Despite all of the other crap. Mm. And then um, the governor, Mick Ennery, he wasn't just known for his awful role in this massacre, uh, but apparently, according to uh, 64 parishes, he didn't do much for public education, and he turned a blind eye to another corruption scandal that I might end up covering regarding the Louisiana lottery. Wow. So that's the story. Oh, Tina. The Thibodeau massacre. So listen. I just, it's just like, it's His, such a... I, I, we were ugh. raised in the same time in this country and I was raised in a house where like Bruce Springsteen born in the USA was an anthem you know we were so proud to come out of that the Russia you know the 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 Cold War ended and we were like you know we were so proud to be Americans like you were just taught this over and over and over again not just by my parents but in school on the TV like it was you were proud to be uh American which is the greatest country right on the face of the earth yes right and (laughs) <laughs> looking at it now even 10 15 years ago you start to see how horrible and we are still a young country we yeah. make horrible mistakes we fall we try to learn to walk we can't do yeah. that we're learning to talk we can't do that like we are still trying to get out of the the the, the shadow of this like the past our past yeah and it is very difficult to do that when we can't say Black Lives Matter. Oh like my that's God. a thing in 2020. And, and defund the police. Yes. And because, I mean, just because people automatically, like, it's like they have a knee-jerk reaction. Like, mm. oh my God, there's going to be no police. And they don't understand what it means. I think, I'm not, I don't disagree with defund the police. I think there's a better way to say it so that yeah. boomers can get on board with it. Yeah. Because I think that was a part of the election. I'm not saying it lost elections. I'm yeah. saying we could have, as Democrats, if, we, if that's what we're going to get on board with. I'm on, I'm on board for like reassessing yeah. costs and like monies from police departments, definitely. Right. But when you say defund, people lose their shit, obviously. And yeah. the, the Republicans knew that. But I think there's another, there's a language, you love language, there's a language thing there that we can adjust that yeah. or something. There's got to be something. But- I agree with it. I'm not saying I don't agree yeah. with it, but holy fuck. It's just, it's, you know what? It's exhausting. And it it's exhausting to know that this history exists and we still can't, people can't there's a majority of people who can't get on board with it. No. I don't know. Uh, it's it's just a bummer. I mean, I hope for a new generation, I guess, but I wonder how many generations have said that. I know, but, you know? We, but this is why we need to understand this stuff. Like, I think that, that when we talk about history, mm-hmm. like kids need to have discussions. Yeah about this and and how would it feel like if this was your family how would it like get get people to empathize Mm -hmm. with you know the plight of others yes you know yeah and and i don't think we i don't know if that's like the school's job but i feel like through history like that's why you know otherwise we're doomed to repeat everything yeah Yes. Well, that's why we have. I know. That's why we have. <laughs> All right, let's go. So mine uh, is kind of around the same Ooh. time, which is so oh. weird and same kind of area, oh. which is so bizarre I, that we're here. So I'm going to tell you about former U.S. Senator from Tennessee, William Blount. Oh. Okay. So let's get into it. William Blount was born March 26, 1749 at Rosefield, the home of his maternal grandfather <laughs> near Windsor in Bertie County, North Carolina. Um, he was the eldest child of Jacob Blount, um, and the Blounts had gradually risen to prominence in the first half of the 18th century as William's grandfather and father had steadily built the family fortune. In the years following William's birth, Jacob Blount built a plantation called Blount Hall in oh. Pitt County, North Carolina. So you get an idea who we're yes. talking about, right? Yes. So outside of tutors, William and, and his brothers had little formal education, but were involved in their father's business ventures at a young age. Jacob Blount, his dad, raised livestock, cotton, and tobacco. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Produced turpentine and operated a mill and horse racing track for the local community. Uh, his land acquisitions consisting of several thousand acres by the end of 1760s taught his sons the profit potential of aggressive land speculation, oh, which no. will come into play later. So during the regulatory movement of the late 1760s and early 1770s, the Blounts remained loyal to the North Carolina government. So the regulatory movement was an uprising against the British America's colonies, right? So the British are still there yeah. and they all these little colonies have their own government. There's no like U.S. There's no government, okay. you know, British, yeah. the British are still hanging around. So this lasted from around 1765 to 1771 in which citizens took up arms against colony officers. Um, I mean, officials whom they viewed as corrupt though. The rebellion did not change the power structure. Some historians consider it a catalyst, to the American revolutionary war. Cause I think this was happening in all of these colonies. Right. Because okay. the British were demanding more money, demand, you know, and so they were just like, we can't we they wanted freedom to do whatever they yes. <laughs> wanted in the yes. colonies. Yes. You know? So Jacob Blount was a justice of the peace. Um, he furnished Governor William T Tyron's war. Uh, I mean, army with supplies as it marched to defeat the regulators, the regulators at the Battle of Alamance in 1771. William Blount, along with his brothers, Jacob and John Gray Blount, were among Tyron's soldiers, though they saw little action, oh. of course. <laughs> they were God. probably in the tent, like, taking yes. notes. They're not going to put those... Those boys out there, right? Please. Um, as tensions heightened between Britain and the American colonies in the 1770s, the Blount family gradually aligned themselves with the Patriot cause. In April 1776, William Blount was appointed paymaster for the New Bern District Brigade, Brigade of the North Carolina Militia the following month. So the paymaster basically is the one who's part of the the brigade that holds all the money and pays the soldiers and you know purchases whatever supplies they need. So he's like... The one walking around who's financially the bank, basically, of the brigade as they're in the war, right? So he was okay. he's part of this 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 group. So the Blounts provided provisions for the col the col uh, colonial army and militias, and they profited both financially and politically from the war. They also began looking westward with John Gray Blount acquiring a portion of Richard Henderson's Transylvania excuse me, Transylvania Purchase in mid-1776. Transylvania Purchase? Yeah, which is mostly, what? which is now mostly... Central and Eastern Kentucky. Oh. Remember, this land is just... Yeah, it's just there. I mean, it's occupied, but... Yes. Yeah. Oh, so my people God. People are it's just, crazy. like, buying and all this... Yeah. So, in, in December 1776, William Blount was appointed paymaster of the 3rd North Carolina Regiment and spent the first few months of 1777 with the unit as it marched north to join George Washington's main forces in the defense of Philadelphia. Oh. In November 1777, political rivals in the North Carolina legislature removed Blount as paymaster, though he was restored to the office in April 1778. So... They they removed him because they they know he's going to come back and run for office, right? And so they want to keep him out of power in the war. Okay. I mean, it's all fucking games. Yeah. I mean, even then, it's just games. And yeah. That's so stupid. God. I know. He helped organize regiments for the defense of Charleston, which fell to the British in 1780 as a result of the siege of Charleston. Um, in er early 1780, Blount was appointed official uh, commissary, commissary, sorry, to General Horatio Gates, who had arrived in North Carolina to command Southern co colonial forces. Blount was present at Gates' Gates's defeat at the Battle of Camden in 1780, and in the confusion of the battle, he lost three hundred thousand dollars of soldiers' pay. What? How do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. How does that happen? I don't know, but. Did he lose it? This, did he lose it? This is what I'm saying. Or, or did he, further, you know, did he tuck it? Did he sew it in the hem of his shirt? Yeah. Like, <laughs> as we get further into this, I start to think, like, maybe that wasn't lost after all. Maybe yeah. he needed that money, but. That's a lot of money. $300,000? In, in 1780? In 17, what would that be today? Okay, keep talking. I'm going to look this <laughs> okay, up. Okay. <laughs> So in late 1779, Blount ran for the vacant New Bern State House of Common Seat against Richard Dobbs in a campaign described by Blount's biographer, William Masterson, as, quote, violent in an age of fierce elections. Dang. Spate won by a narrow margin, but Blount successfully convinced election officials that voter fraud had occurred and the election was voided. Oh, come on. Can you imagine? This is this is like if it, Trump but, had, had convinced them. Yes. That's what he did. He Dear convinced God. them that, that it was it was there was fraud. Okay, so I, I got the number. Oh, it's yeah. 
eight million yeah. $978,896.55. That is a lot. How, who's walking around with that much money? I don't money? know, but P.S. you should this be fired make, at this point. And you know, that doesn't, le- that doesn't make any sense. And this is who they, he's running for a seat now? Yeah. Well, that, it goes with everything we've ever covered. He, like, that just, 300 grand went to pay people to get him elected. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's what happened. Oh, here, avoid the election. Yes. Here's a couple hundred thousand dollars. In the weeks following the Battle of Camden, Blount again ran for the seat and this time was successful. He took his seat in the House of Commons in January 1781. In May 1782, Blount was elected one of four, North Carolina's four delegates to the Continental Congress. Oh, God. At the Congress's 1782 session, Blount helped defeat a poll tax and a liquor tax and opposed a reduction of the army uh he also agreed to consider a land session which is c-e-s-s-i-o-n do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. when i say that okay so uh he, he helped also agreed to consider a land session act to satisfy north carolina's massive tax debt owed to the confederation so now they're just he's gonna he's agreeing to give away land to help with that because north carolina is a colony yeah right um I don't so, know. It's just so, it, to me, this guy seems like a bumbling fucking idiot, and or he's so just he's always fucking opposing. Up. So he's opposing taxes, so everyone's going to love him because like their, their booze isn't going to be taxed. Yeah. But then he's giving and away then land. He's giving away land, and he's like, "We're still going to bolster up the army." I mean, right? So it's just he's all over. To me, it's just one thing after the other with this guy. So there's more wait so blount left philadelphia in january 1783 and resigned from the congress three months later to accept an appointment to the north carolina house of Commons steering committee during the house's 1783 and 1784 sessions blount introduced several bills that would prove critical in the early history of what is now tennessee one so he's involved in all yep. like tennis like the, he's like the a creation founding, of yes. all of these states yes he's a founding and splitting father. up the territories of what's going to go here and there yes okay. especially of tennessee because he starts to realize north carolina is not going to be his place anymore right so he starts tennessee becomes his thing so during the houses uh, or sorry so one bill known as quote the land grab act opened the state's lands west of the appalachians which are the parts of tennessee that were not under in, um, indigenous domain i might okay, say so so this is I really need to do some history with with the colonies, the colonies and the and, and the land, yeah. Like, because it's like, you know, we just roll in and now we're selling land and making money. Yes, and there's people on this land. Yes, and they're just somehow going, well, this is my land. Yes, it's crazy. That's what this whole thing is. It's fucking yeah, this wild. Is, this is and this and, is, and it is a land grab. It is a land grab, and also his. This is all he knows from his dad is just acquiring more and more and more land. Like that's right. all that they did. So, but I just don't understand he even was saying, how this got started. On like, who was the first person to go pay me for this land? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when they when they are establishing right. Do you all remember that Tom Cruise movie where he? I'm he, sorry, guys, if I sound like completely ignorant. Well, who's I the, don't mean to. Who's the guy? What's that Tom Cruise movie where he's from Ireland and he has to race out? To get that, he's in the movie with Nicole Kidman. The car movie? No, no. (laughs) Not that race car movie. Uh, Hold on. I got to I know that he's in the movie of. Oh, Far and Away. Oh, no, I've never seen that. Oh, God. I used to love that movie. Oh, no. Anyway. Uh, I was thinking the one, the Stanley Kubrick or the, the no, race no. car one. They <laughs> <laughs> did a lot of movies together for two people who probably didn't like each other yeah. very much. They, uh, far and away, he's, he's an Irish immigrant and he's racing out west to claim land. He's got this flag and he just puts a flag yeah, and he's like, I mean, this is mine. <laughs> yeah, this, this, I don't, that's what I'm like. I don't understand. Like there are people on this yeah. land. Like, oh my God. Anyway. And we just had Thanksgiving and now I, I just know. feel like. <laughs> It's terrible. I it's don't mean to terrible. laugh, but it's No, like, it's it terrible. It's I mean, up. I feel like, you know, giving gratitude, but we need to, like, mm-hmm. I, I had a whole talk with my son mm-hmm. about Thanksgiving. I was like, yeah. you need to understand, you know, and, and my husband's looking over at me. I said, no, no, he needs to understand that, like, this is a day of mourning for people. And, like, it's great that we could celebrate and and be grateful and thankful for, for many things this year. I said, but we still need to acknowledge and recognize, you yes. know, the real history yes. and so that's what i did with them we t- i gave them you know because they're young so we talked about some like facts and things like that and well i went over to to our friend kate's house who you mentioned already on the yes. podcast. Hey, it's this kate's episode yay so um we went i went over there and uh she had you know the kids were playing her kids were playing with chalk and on the on the sidewalk, it said, pilgrims are murderers. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's one way to fucking put it. Yeah. That's short. It's sweet. It's, it's to the point. It's yes. sweet to the point. Um, 
So, all right, let me get back into this. Okay. So this guy, so he's taking land, he's giving it, a, you know, he's putting it up for people to have settlement. Now he was saying these parts of the land of the, near the west of the Appalachians was not under, um, what, you know, indigenous domain. Like there was nobody right. there <clears throat> according to him, but you know. How would you know? I mean, you really have to go out there and start surveying all of this, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's incredible. I know. So one individual who took advantage of this act was militia captain James White, who, again, these militias, so these colonies had their own armies yeah. that defended their own land. Same thing with what was going on in Louisiana that you mentioned. So who um, he acquired a tract of land that would later become Knoxville, Tennessee. Another bill rendered soldiers with at least two years of military service eligible for land grants. Some soldiers used their grants to acquire land in the Tennessee Valley, while others sold their grants to the Blounts and other land speculators. So this uh. is still, they're, you know, getting more and more and more. So 1784, Blount sponsored a bill establishing the city of Nashville. Wow. I love that city. In June 1784, Blount sponsored another bill critical to early Tennessee history, a bill calling for North Carolina lands west of the Appalachians, which is now modern Tennessee, to be ceded to the Continental Congress to satisfy the state share of the nation's tax burden. Oh, again, right? So yeah, but this is, seems like it's all benefiting him. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's making decisions. But doesn't North Carolina weren't they big with the tobacco farming? Like, wouldn't they have money? Wasn't that the whole thing? Is how why the South didn't want to have a federal bank because they didn't want to be giving? I, money? I don't know about the debt, and it's and it's you know a port based city, I, uh, a state. I why, don't. Know. Why would they need? Why would they? I don't know. Okay, so. The bill was hotly contested, but passed by a 52 to 43 margin. Opponents of the session gained control um, of the House and repealed the act in October, mm. but not before a movement by the Tennessee Valley residents to establish a separate state known as the state of Franklin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a friend of both North Carolina Governor Richard Caswell and Franklinite leader John Sevier, Sevier, Blount waffled on the Franklin issue for the next four years. So he won't even fucking take a side in this. In spite of the session debacle, Blount was elected to the Continental Congress Dear for the God. 1785 session. Yeah, he's just he just floats around, right? Yes. Don't be afraid to select new leaders is all I have to say. Yes. Just because the guy's there doesn't mean that he should be in office. Yes. Uh, in spite of the session debacle, Blount was, okay, I said that. As he prepared to depart, however, word came that the Congress had appointed a commission to negotiate a new treaty, eventually known as the Treaty of Hopewell, with the Southern Tribes. Fearing the new treaty would be unfavorable to North Carolina, Blount, with Governor Caswell's blessing, headed south in hopes to negotiate a separate treaty for the state. So he wants to bypass this other treaty. He oh arrived too late, however, and the Hopewell Treaty negotiated by the commissioners returned a sizable portion of Western lands claimed by North Carolina speculators to the indigenous people. Oh, good. Yeah. So fearing a backlash back home, Blount merely signed the treaty as a witness. In March 1786, Blount hurried to New York to take his seat in the Continental Congress, hoping to prevent ratification of the Hopewell Treaty, but oh once God. again arrived too late and Good. the treaty was what, ratified. What's happening? He's just missing his train? <laughs> I don't know. He's, He's getting up late? What it's happened? one fucking thing after the other with this yeah. fucking guy. He's like a bumbling fucking fool. So how, are, how are you late to like these? <laughs> and it's not like being late to the dentist. <laughs> no, but how long does it take to get to these? I, I mean, it must know. take a long time. I know. So leave early. I, <laughs> I feel like this is, it's like I mean, he gets there. It's I late. love that he's late to everything, yeah. but I'm just saying like, if you're, uh, this, this is, official, what I would this do is your job. This is what I would do with him. I'd sign it as a witness and I'd go, let me take it to New York for you. Like just take, take your time, somehow lose it on the yes. way there. My God. Okay. So um, in March 1987, he was chosen. Was 19. In March 1787, Blount was chosen as one of five delegates to represent North Carolina at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. Blount arrived at the convention on June 20th after debates had already begun. He sent Caswell, a which was the governor, a copy of the Virginia plan in violation of the convention rules and expressing pessimism in the convention's outcome. He stayed for just a few days before heading to New York to rejoin the Continental Congress in early July. So he's already like playing two sides in all of this right. stuff when it comes and he's, to like lands. And yeah, and he's giving people documents ahead of time to try to sway them. Yes. He's not playing fair. No. Um, he was present for the Congress's debate and passage of the Northwest Ordinance and heard Henry Knox's report recommending a North Carolina land session. Again, taking it away from indigenous people, you know. By August 7th, however, he had returned to the convention in Philadelphia for final debates. Still reeling from the fallout from the Hopewell Treaty, he was wary of signing the final document but was finally convinced by the governor to do so. 
Confident that North Carolina would gain more than it would lose with the new constitution, Blount returned home to campaign for its ratification. So now he's on the side of it because it's like, you can't do anything about it. Elected to North Carolina Senate from Pitt County in 1788 and 1789, Blount and his ally successfully countered attempts by anti-federalists Willie Jones and William Lenore to thwart adoption of the new constitution. And North Carolina voted for its ratification in November 1789. Now he's going to start getting into this Tennessee, like creating this Tennessee, right? Because now he's yeah. back in North So Congress attempted North, accepted North Carolina's Western session, which consisted of what is now Tennessee on April 2nd, 1790. In May, the Southwest Territory, territory was created for the new session and was, was to be governed under the Northwest Ordinance. On June 8th, President George Washington appointed Blount governor of the new territory. So now he's in charge of this thing he was fighting against, right? Blount visited visited Washington at Mount Vernon on September 18th and was sworn in by Supreme Court Justice James Iredell two days later. In October 1790, he set up a temporary capital at William Cobb's house, Rocky Mount. I can't believe that he's like in charge of the whole thing. He's like failing upward. He's going up, up, up. he established a temporary capital in what is now Piney Flats, Tennessee, and began organizing a, new, a government for the new territory. The Western frontiersmen were initially skeptical of Blount, who came across as an aristocratic, <laughs> <laughs> aristocratic Easterner. Ooh, I got it. Blount managed to gain the tr- their trust, however, by recommending John Sevier, so this guy who was against him and James Robertson as brigadier generals of the territorial militia and appointing Landon Carter, Stockland Donaldson and Gilbert Christensen Christian as colonels, former former Franklinites appointed to lower government offices included James Harden. I'm sorry, Joseph Harden, William Cage, James White and Francis Alexander Ramsey. Other government, other receive others receiving appointments. (laughs) I had one cup of coffee today. This is like terrible. No, this is good. This Others is good. receiving appointments included future president Andrew Jackson, future governor Archibald Ronan, and naval officer George Farragut. Blount hired his half-brother, William Blount, to serve as his personal secretary. Come on. And re- recruited Fayetteville, North Carolina publisher George Rulestone to establish a newspaper for the new territory known as the Gazette. In December 1790, following his trip to the Cumberland Territories, Blount's family joined him at Rocky Mount. The following year, he chose James White's Fort near the confluence of the Holston and French Broad uh, Rivers as the territory's new capital. He named the capital Knoxville after his superior, the United States Secretary of War, Henry Knox. Oh, who knew? Yeah. Following the initial sale of lots in October 1791, he began construction of his mansion in the new city. Oh, throughout God. His, throughout his term as governor, Blount was torn between angry Western frontiersmen who demanded war against hostile indigenous people oh, come and on. a war department that consistently pushed for peaceful negotiations with the indigenous people. How about just let people keep their land? Yeah. In June 1791, he negotiated the Treaty of Holston with Cherokee leader John Watts and several other chiefs resolving land claims south of the French Broad River and obtaining permission for a permanent road between the territory's eastern settlements and the Cumberland settlements. In spite of this treaty... sucks, I know, I know. In spite of this treaty, Chickamauga... Chickamauga, that's got to be wrong. Chickamauga, Chickamauga... Am I I pronouncing Chickamauga? Chickamauga. Okay, so in spite of this treaty, Chickamauga attacks increased the following year. Frustrated settlers demanded federal troops intervene, but the War Department refused, blaming settlers for intruding on indigenous people's land. Thank you. Thank you. Um, William Cox, greedy, greedy, greedy people. But of course, it's so funny that they want the War Department to step in and like get this land for us. But why do you? Yeah, why do you deserve it? So William, Why do you deserve it? Right. William uh, Cock, an ex-Franklinite, blamed Blount for the lack of action against the Chickamaugas and began publishing attacks against Blount in the Gazette. Blount res- responded with a series of articles published under pseudonyms oh, God. rejecting Cock and calling for patience. Following attacks by the Chickamaugas against Ziegler's station in 1792 and against Cavett's station in 1793, however, Blount was unable to contain the rage of frontiersmen and called up the militia. Mm. Sevier led the militia south into Georgia and attacked and destroyed several Chickamauga villages. Knox blasted Blount for the invasion and refused to pay for the militiamen. 
So the Knox, this is Henry yeah. Knox who's running the War Department. Blount finally negotiated a truce with the Chickamauga at the Teleco Blockhouse in 1794. Toward the middle of his term, Blount began implementing the steps stipulated in the Northwest Ordinance for a territory to gain statehood. One of these steps was to call for the election of a legislature and submit nominees for appointments to a territorial council, which Blount did in 1794. On September 15, 1795, he directed county sheriffs to conduct a census. The census placed the territory's population at 77,000, substantially more wow. than the 60,000 required for statehood. Blount ordered a state constitution, constitutional convention to be held at Knoxville in January 1796, which he personally attended as part of the Knox County delegation. The government of the of the new state, Tennessee, convened in late March 1796 before it had been officially admitted to the Union. Blount realized he had little chance of defeating Sevier in a race for governor of the new state, so instead he sought one of the state's two United States Senate seats. Oh, God. So when when he's tr- trying to ratify this state mm-hmm. how i guess i'm just so curious is is how did the indigenous folks play into this cuz they're they're marking you know well, borders of, like of a state and a so are there within the state there are designated yes. areas that they've allowed for the indigenous folks yes now we know that and doesn't last no, very long. No, I mean, it says we want you to peacefully negotiate, but we yeah. know that that you know eventually Andrew God, Jackson. Can you like, imagine? Can you just girl. imagine like how beautiful this country was, and like just people come in and they just you know gut. I mean, I'm even thinking of Florida. You know, they go yes. in and they and they 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 screw up the natural flow of the Everglades. They do you know like they just destroy the land, and the people who are here m- m- must have been like what. What like watching this desecration? Oh, I can't even imagine. Had to have been so incredibly horrible to witness. Yeah, and then you're having, and to, then you're being pushed back and pushed back and pushed yeah. back into area that nobody wants to live in. And you know negotiate what I mean? It's so, and being it's tricked. Like even they're like, oh, we'll pay you this much for the land, and like, yeah. you know, how much was New York purchased for? Oh, uh, like, like nothing. Yeah, like nothing. At Louisiana too. It's incredible. Yeah. Um. So Blount's brother Thomas, then a congressman from North Carolina, along with James Madison, convinced the House to vote for Tennessee's admission to the the United States House uh, for Tennessee's admission to the Union on May 6th. And the Senate voted to admit this new state on May 31st. Mm. Okay, so let's get into this dirty, the dirtiness. So we know who this guy is, right? Yeah, he's horrible. It just seems like a to me like bumbling. Like it's always like, and how is he getting to where he's getting? But it's this, it's that three hundred grand he he lost in the war. But it's also like his family (laughs) and just acquiring all these lands and. Okay, so throughout the seventeen eighties and seventeen nineties, William Blount and his brothers gradually bought up large amounts of western lands acquiring over 2.5 million acres Holy by crap. the mid 1790s much of this land was bought on credit oh god pushing the family deeply into debt so go. that money you see what i'm saying with that yeah. money being missing is very bizarre yeah in 1795 the market for western lands collapsed the land prices plummeted a number of land speculators including blount associate david alice allison went bankrupt Blount partnered with Philadelphia physician Nicholas Romain in an attempt to sell land to English investors, but their efforts were unsuccessful. Compounding Blount's problems, Timothy Pickering, who despised Blount, replaced Henry Knox as Secretary of War in 1795. Following France's defeat of Spain in the War of the Pyrenees, land speculators already on the financial brink worried that the French would eventually gain control of Spanish-controlled Louisiana and shut off American access to the Mississippi River. In hopes of preventing this, Blount and his friend, a Native American agent named John Chisholm, who's probably a fucking snake anyway, right, Um, concocted a plan to allow Britain to gain control of Florida and Louisiana and in return give free access to both New Orleans and the Mississippi River to American merchants. Oh, he is shady. I mean, this is fucked, right? Yeah. Uh, The plan, it's it's treason. Yeah. I mean. He's working with another country. Yeah. The plan called for territorial militias with the aid of the British fleet to attack New Madrid, New Orleans, and Pensacola. Oh, God. These fucking militias. I'll tell you what. They've always been a fucking pain in the ass (laughs) in this country. To help... 
carry out the plan, Blount recruited Romaine, who had never showed up more than never showed more than lukewarm support for that for the idea. And Knoxville merchant named uh, a Knoxville merchant named James Carey. Chisholm, meanwhile, sailed to England to recruit British supporters. Oh God! In April seventeen ninety seven, it's a long plan. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be yeah. over before he fucking gets there. Yeah. In April seventeen ninety seven, Carey was the was at the te- Teleco Blockhouse near Knoxville when he gave a government agent a letter from Blount outlining the conspiracy. <gasps> yeah. Like the dumbest thing ever to write it down yeah. on a piece of paper. How dumb. my plan number <laughs> <Yeah>. one <laughs> overturn Malaysia, the government. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, elect to become president. Yeah. The agent turned the letter over to his superior, Colonel David Henley in Knoxville, and Henley in turn sent it to Pickering, who had since become Secretary of State. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Elated at the opportunity to crush Blount. Oh, I love this. He was probably like, yes. Yeah. Pickering turned the letter over to President John Adams. Oh. Determine, determining that the actions of Blount, now a senator from Tennessee, constituted a crime, Adams sent Blount's letter to the Senate, where it was presented on July... No, they read the letter in the Senate? <laughs> yes, yeah. Where it was presented on July 3rd, 1797, while Blount was out for a walk. No. <laughs> Why is he out? They're like, hey, go take a break. Yeah. Go take a break. Go, go take a walk. Yeah. You look like you lay a little fresh yeah. air. Go for a walk. Oh my God, you know yeah. what this guy's doing? <laughs> I gotta read you this letter. It's like a gossip sesh. This is hilarious. <laughs> in the middle of the sentence. Yeah, and he's just out for a walk. Yeah. That when Blount so returned, funny. yeah. So when Blount returned, the clerk read the contents of the letter aloud as Blount stood in stunned silence. Oh my God! <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Vice President Thomas Jefferson asked Blount if he had if he had written the letter. Well, Blount's gonna be like, no, you know, not me. Yeah. he's probably looking over yeah. the shoulder. Me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who would admit to that? Blount gave an evasive answer and asked what the matter. That the matter be postponed until the following day, which was granted. Oh, on July, gonna... yeah, on July fourth, Blount. He's Point of order. Like, what can I do? What, yeah. what, what can I say? Point of order. <laughs> Point of order. <laughs> on, on July fourth, <laughs> Blount refused to return to the Senate and had followed. Oh, and had what a fellow, baby! I know. And had fellow Tennessee Senator William Cock read a letter, which again requested more time. The Senate rejected this request and f- and formed an investigative committee. Ordered to testify before the committee, Blount initially attempted to flee by ship to North Carolina, but federal deputies seized the ship and most of his Ooh. belongings. On July 7th, Blount, after consulting with attorneys Alexander Dallas and Jared Ingersoll, testified before the committee and denied writing of the Of course. I mean, just say you didn't write it. The following day, the House of Representatives voted 41 to 30 to hold impeachment hearings, and the Senate voted 25 to 1 to sequester Blount's seat, effectively expelling him with Henry Tazewell casting the lone dissenting vote. Rather than await trial, Blount, Blount posted bail and fled to Tennessee. Ugh. John Chisholm remained in England in a debtor's prison for several months wow. and confessed the entire scheme upon <gasps> his return. Romaine was arrested and forced to testify before the committee where he confessed his part his to his part in the conspiracy. The House re, uh, continued to consider evidence for Blount's impeachment in early 1798. At one session on January 30th, a bizarre brawl erupted between two congressmen, Matthew Lyon and Roger Griswold. This was hilarious. Listen to this. Like, they just, about this. They're debating oh. about whether he should be impeached or not. And they get into like a fist fight. Yes. So Griswold <laughs> was trying to attack, attract Lyon's attention. Like, hey, I'm talking in order to have a dialogue on yeah. the issue. But Lyon was ignoring him on purpose since they belonged to opposing political parties. Oh, God. Griswold finally lost his temper and insulted Lyon by calling him a scoundrel, which at the time was yeah. like profanity, right? Their clash escalated when Lyon declared himself willing to fight for the interest of the common man. Oh, Mockingly, Griswold asked if Lyon would be using his wooden sword, a reference to Lyon's supposed dismissal from Gates' command during the revolution so like he walked uh, yeah he, he like abandoned his post furious lion spat tobacco juice on griswold earning him, oh, himself ew. the nickname nicknamed the spitting lion <laughs> <laughs> lion later apologized to the house as a whole claiming he had not known it was he, he was in session when he confronted Griswold. Oh, and come no on. No breach of decorum or disrespect to the body. He also provided a written letter of apology. Not satisfied with the apology, on February 15th, 1798, Griswold retaliated by attacking Lyon with a wooden cane. Oh, beating not him. another caning. <laughs> Dear God. Beating him about the head and <gasps> shoulders in a view of other representatives on the house floor. 
And they're just watching it. Yes. They're like, yes, go. Throwing some Listen, money down. Let's like, take some bets. Yes. <laughs> Lion retreated to a fire pit and defended himself what? with the tongs until after no. other, like those long, yes. until other congressmen <laughs> broke up the fight with several pulling Griswold by his legs to get him to get to let go of Lion. Uh, although the committee appointed to investigate recommended censure of both Lyon and Griswold, the House as a whole rejected the motion. So that, that yeah, this, they're like, well, they both got in a fight. Let yeah. it go. So that was happening. That happened. That's like a little side note I of like another that. fucking caning on yes. the floor. Blount's <laughs> trial in the Senate took place in 1799, though Blount's ref- Blount refused to attend in spite of a visit to Knoxville from the Senate uh, Sergeant of Arms asking him to come to the oh, trial. Gosh. On January 11, 1799, the Senate voted 14 to 11 to dismiss the impeachment, arguing that impeachment did not extend to senators. <sighs> the unraveling. Lindsey Graham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the unraveling of the conspiracy destroyed Blount's reputation at the national level and touched off a series of accusations be- between Federalists and Anti-Federalists. George Washington called for swift justice against Blount and hoped he would be, quote, held in de- detestation by all good men, end quote. Mm. Pickering argued that the con- argued the conspiracy was part of a great- greater French plot and accused Jefferson of being involved. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. Nobody cares. Yeah. So finally, you're not that important that Jefferson's like conspiring yeah, he's against busy. you. He's like, a little busy raping his sleeves. Okay. Uh, so um, while Blount's national reputation was ruined, he remained popular in Tennessee. Upon his return to Knoxville in September 1797, he was paraded triumphantly no, he through was the city not. by the military. What is yeah. going on? A military procession going down the streets That's for lovely. how wonderful he is. <laughs> Most of his old Tennessee allies, among them Andrew Jackson, remained loyal and helped repair his image among locals. Blount likewise appointed, adopted a staunchly pro-Western attitude. Oh, right? here we go. Yeah. And, it's, 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 well, I mean, when you have Andrew Jackson on your side, you know you're, I mean, yeah. you're garbage. You're going to, you're going to hell, bro. <laughs> yeah. In 1798, Congress appointed commissioners to survey the boundary between U.S. and Cherokee land set by the Treaty of Holston. Concerned the commissioners would run the boundary in a way that favored the Cherokee over the settlers, Blount and Sevier sent agents to harass the commissioners. To further push Western interests, they sent representatives to federal treaty negotiations at the Teleco Blockhouse in 1798, frustrating federal negotiation negotiators sent by Congress and confusing Cherokee representatives. <sighs> Just always getting in the fucking yes. way, this guy. In his report on the Teleco Treaty, one of the commissioners, Alicia Hall, accused Blount of trying to thwart the treaty and Blount sued him for libel. Oh, God. After the, th- the suit was thrown out by Judge David Campbell, Blount sought Campbell's impeachment, calling him a meddling blockhead. <laughs> in, Sept- in October 1798, Block- William Blount was elected to Knox County's no. state Senate seat. Are you kidding me? On, on December, Go away. Yeah, on December 3rd, he was named Speaker of the Senate. Well, are you kidding me? Why? He's a fucking traitor to this country. Yes. Well, you know, he doesn't care about the country. Now he's like local, local, local. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't care about the country. And now he's yeah. like, let's just yeah. acquire, And how acquire, about this? Acquire. He doesn't forget anything. He spent his first few days in office pushing for Judge Campbell's impeachment, the guy who threw him out, threw his libel case out. The oh, House voted The House voted to impeach Campbell on December 17th. No. But he was acquitted by the Senate on December 26th. Thank God. In March 19th, I'm sorry, March 1800, an epidemic swept through Knoxville and several members of the Blount family fell ill. Blount was tending to his sick family when he too fell ill on March 11th. And after 10 days, he died on the night of March 21st, 1800 at the age of 50. Bye. Oh, 50 for episode 50. Oh my God. (laughs) Weird. He was buried at the first Presbyterian church cemetery, a a few blocks from his home in Knoxville. His half brother, Willie consolidated the family estate and took charge of the education of Blount's children. Wow. Yeah. What a jerk. But so involved. You know, there's so few people who are actually doing all of this during that time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like so many, there's so few people who actually had a hand in what was happening in this country and in these states. And the money. And just making decisions like, well, this went, this land belongs yes. to us now. And yeah. this. What the hell? It's crazy. I know. It's crazy. And I love that they, I love when there's a, where something terrible happens or they do something awful and they're still reelected. They're still yes. put back into, into office. It's incredible. It is. Damn. Goodbye. <laughs> Go back to Tennessee. I wonder if this will happen with any of uh, 
Trump's family? Like, will this, will they still be coming around? I wonder. Oh, please. Do you think they're at any, do you think at any point the doors close, they go into their rooms and they go, oh my God, thank God we get to go back to our lives. No, I think that like Donnie Jr. wants to run for something. I think uh, Ivanka wants to run for something. Really? I think they're power hungry. I just don't even see that they would know how to do any of those things. They don't know how to do anything now yet. Look at them. True. I mean, come on. I mean, the only thing is, I don't know if they could be as gross as their father. But like, you know what I mean? You would think that they would want to. I don't think they can rile the base like he does. It's about service. No, they don't care about service. <laughs> oh, I can't even think about them. I know. It makes me so sick. <sighs> well, at least he seems to be getting closer to like stepping away. Right? Yeah. I mean, He's I don't think. I, yeah. I don't think that there'll be an official... Oh, yeah. I lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I can't imagine like what letter is he going to leave on the desk? You mm. know what I mean? Someone else will write it. Yeah. I mean, he can't even, he's ignorant. Oh, God. I yeah, know so much. All right, girl. <gasps> okay. That's it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will see you next week. Yep. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.